this is Mark Raven. Welcome to episode 169 of Lean Blog Audio. It's January 6, 2017. Today's post is about my post for the Deming Institute blog, why Dr. Deming's work is so important to me. Now, I'm extremely honored that the W. Edwards Deming Institute published my first blog post in a series of three that I've written for them to be published over the next month or so. And again, that post is titled, Why Dr. Deming's Work is So Important to Me. Um, here is that post. Again, it's uh, published over at blog.deming.org. You can find a link to it and other things I'm going to mention here by going to leanblog.org slash audio 169. While my work is usually associated with the term lean and the lessons from the Toyota production system, some of my earliest learning and inspiration for improvement came from the work of W. Edwards Deming. I don't think I learned anything about Deming or his work as an undergraduate industrial engineering student in the early 90s. I do remember my statistics professor saying something in class in early 1994, right after Dr. Deming passed away. I think I was the only one to raise my hand after the professor asked who had heard of him. So why had I heard of Dr. Deming? I was fortunate that my father had an opportunity to be a student in the famed four-day Deming seminar while working as an engineer at the Cadillac division of General Motors in the late 1980s. I don't remember getting too many details from my dad about the class other than Dr. Deming chastising some executives who showed up during the last hour of the last day. But I was curious enough to check out the copy of the book Out of the Crisis that was on my dad's bookshelf. I first read the book during a break between quarters during my junior year in college, I believe. Out of the Crisis resonated with me, not because of statistics, but because of the human factors, the psychology and the workplace dynamics that I already recognized from the workplace, having worked a few part-time retail jobs at that point. I had uh, experience with a bullying boss who didn't listen to their employees in one of those jobs. Thankfully, I also had some very good managers who still fell victim to conventional wisdom management ideas, such as a store manager creating special sales incentives and contests that seemed silly and unnecessary, or they were created by a district manager or somebody above them. But my coworkers and I didn't understand why we had to be motivated to sell video game systems during the holiday shopping season, since that's what we already enjoyed doing. It was one of my first experiences with uh, teamwork and intrinsic motivation being squashed by extrinsic incentives or competition. During my junior year in college, I was running for leadership positions in my fraternity. One long-standing issue had been relatively poor attendance at weekly chapter meetings. Occasionally, a brother would get voted out of the chapter after a period of excessive absenteeism. In my campaign, I suggested that punitive measures, or the threat thereof, only made the attendance problem worse and went against the spirit of brotherhood. I proposed that we scrap our existing points-based attendance system and the requirements to attend. Our job as chapter leaders would be to understand why some brothers weren't attending and to improve the system in a way that would make people want to attend by their own choice and intrinsic motivation. And brothers could still be removed from the chapter if deemed necessary. This approach was too radical compared to the way we've always done it. Well, oh well, I tried. But I learned I'd have to do a better job in the future of making a case of challenging an existing deeply ingrained system if I was going to change how things are managed. Now, when searching for my first full-time job, General Motors wasn't initially high on my list for several reasons. I did interview with the company and learned that there was a factory that was supposedly managed under a, a version of the Deming philosophy, and they called this 
the Livonia philosophy, as the plant was actually in my hometown of Livonia, Michigan. The factory promised a different culture, a different way of managing, and a different relationship with the union. So being excited, I showed up for, for work and, and quickly realized that the Livonia philosophy had unfortunately completely degraded. The culture had slipped back to the way it had always been with all the dysfunctions that one would expect in a GM plant of that era. Ironically, the Deming approach had been reduced to a bunch of meaningless slogans and posters on the wall. Workers were blamed for quality problems after management had told them to keep the line running instead of properly gauging parts or changing tools. There was no opportunity for pride and joy in work there, and I'll talk about that more in the second post in this series. So after escaping GM, I had an opportunity uh, to attend graduate school at MIT. That's why I got out of GM, was to go to MIT to study operations management, system dynamics, and other topics. I remember a few of my classmates from the auto industry joining me um, to, to take issue with an economics professor who was trying to teach us that there was an economically uh, optimal level of quality for a business, the idea that better quality would cost too much beyond a certain point. We argued with the professor, citing our understanding of Deming and the modern quality approach, including the Taguchi loss function as we had studied in our TQM class there at MIT. Now, rather than defeating our argument, the professor eventually just shut off the debate so he could continue with his lecture. Now, you might argue I went to the wrong business school, but yeah, I do recall rereading the sections of Out of the Crisis where Dr. Deming criticized MBA programs, and he was right. But after business school, I ended up in organizations that didn't understand or didn't subscribe to the Deming philosophy and approach. I remember a colleague, also in her first year out of MIT, feeling crushed when her boss at Dell told her in her first annual review, you deserve a one, which was the highest rating, but nobody's allowed to get a one in the first year, so you get a two. Now, later when I worked at Johnson & Johnson, I was a victim of stack ranking, where uh, my earned rating of a seven, which was out of a maximum nine, I mean, you know, who dreams up these systems, that seven was knocked down to a six because too many people had been given a seven, or that's what my boss told me. I asked for my future improvement sake what I'd have to do to earn a nine, and I was told by my manager, well, uh, nobody ever gets a nine. Many different situations illustrate some of the forces of destruction that Dr. Deming wrote about so vividly. I was deeply saddened when I saw how General Motors employees, hourly and salaried alike, were so unhappy at work in my plant. Now, at least the salaried employees had options to leave. Um, the hourly workers were basically stuck there. I mean, if you think of Mr. Burns in The Simpsons telling Homer, uh, don't forget, you're here forever, since they couldn't find uh, a similar job at those wages. It, it became my mission and driving focus uh, to help create better workplaces that didn't beat people down, crushing their spirits. I mean, sadly, these same forces of destruction exist in too many healthcare organizations today. And that's something um, I'll also cover in a future post in the series, uh, the third that will be published, along with my reactions to Dr. Deming's article called Notes on Management in a Hospital, as John Hunter blogged about back in 2015. To this day, I say only half-jokingly that learning about Deming was both the best thing and the worst thing that ever happened in my career. It's the best thing because it opened my eyes to a better way of leading people. It's the worst thing because I'd be happier in what Deming called the prison and, quote, the tyranny of the prevailing style of management if I had never been exposed to Deming. So that's my first post in the series. The second post is titled... 
the irony of the failure of the Livonia philosophy at my GM plant, where I reflect on my first job out of college at the Livonia engine plant. They had promised me uh, a Deming philosophy approach when I was interviewing for the job, but that turned out to all be just a matter of um, the past, of how that, uh, that uh, plant had been managed, um, sad to say. And in the third post of the series, titled Reflections on Dr. Deming's Hospital Notes, What Has Changed Since 1987, um, I'll share some thoughts on those notes that Dr. Deming himself wrote during a 1987 hospital stay. Um, how, I'll end with one other question here. And in the blog post, again, if you go to leanblog.org slash audio 169, you can find the link to this article. Um, I've also posted some other articles I've written in the past. Um, related to the Deming Institute, I'll ask this question, and you can come to the blog post and comment. I, I'd be curious to hear, how has Dr. Deming's work affected your life and your career?